0: I receive dozens of emails and messages from people who want to share stories of their terrifying or unexplained encounters with me. Most of them, I can say for sure, are fictional. If you spend enough time in this corner of the internet, you learn how to sort the fake from the genuine. And I get a lot of fakes. People who are just looking for attention. However, There are some of these stories that have so many verifiable details that I have been unable to disprove them. In this video, I have three real-life encounter stories. I have changed some of the details and all of the names for privacy reasons, but everything else is true. These stories are not for the faint-hearted, so if you want to get a good night's sleep, proceed with caution. Story 1 Cody has been a cowboy for more than 15 years. He works on a ranch near the border between Canada and the US. I did some research using his real name and the name of the ranch, which I have redacted for Cody's privacy. I can verify that a person by this name is still employed at the ranch. Cody is a no-nonsense kind of guy. If you want to make it as a cowboy, that's how it has to be, he told me. On a daily basis, he deals with lynx, wolves, moose, and coyotes without batting an eye. Really, this story isn't about Cody. It's about his horse. His horse, Bandit, is a Mustang who Cody tamed himself. Bandit was the best ranch horse Cody had ever had, because he was almost impossible to spook. Even conditions like thunderstorms that would break out other horses didn't bother Bandit at all. Before the events of this story, Cody had only seen Bandit show fear on one occasion. It was a foggy, moonless night on the outskirts of the ranch when Bandit began to pin his ears back and started nervously shifting on the spot. Cody looked around for the source of Bandit's fear and his torchlight shone on several pairs of glowing eyes in the distance. While Cody was distracted, they had been quietly surrounded by a pack of wolves. Even then, Bandit didn't run or try to throw Cody off. He waited for Cody's command, and when Cody shot his gun in the air, the wolves fled, and Bandit quickly calmed down. After this night, Cody had a firm belief that if Bandit was scared, something was terribly wrong. The story that Cody shared took place almost two years ago, but has stuck with him to this day. He and Bandit had spent a long day repairing fence posts and checking the perimeter of the ranch. Boring work, but someone had to do it, and they were about ready to head home. The day had snuck away from them and the sun was beginning to drift downwards in the sky. Cody always liked the dusk. The way the moon made everything look silver filled him with a sense of nostalgia, and he would often idly chat to his horse while they made their way home. Basically, this guy was totally comfortable being out on his own at night, and so was Bandit. They did it all the time. Cody's journey back to his accommodation on the ranch took him several miles around the fence line. There was a small forest surrounding him, but not looming trees, more like short shrubbery. Bandit stopped in his tracks, and if Cody was a worse horseman, he was sure he would have been thrown to the ground. It was so sudden. One moment the horse was at a confident trot, and then, He dug his heels in. Cody immediately looked at his horse's face and saw that Bandit's ears were pinned back, right against his skull. He was looking to the right at the tree line and Cody could see the whites of the horse's eyes. Bandit was terrified. Cody suddenly became aware of the dead silence. Usually, The twilight on the ranch had a soft soundtrack of crickets chirping and birds singing, but the air was so dead that he could have heard a pin drop. "'What is it?' he asked Bandit, trying to soothe the horse with a pat on the shoulder. He tried to urge him forward, but Bandit refused to move. For what felt like hours, but was probably only a few seconds, the two of them stood there, motionless, When a voice came from the distance, Cody felt his heart thud with terror. Hello? Hello? It's me. It was a female voice, high-pitched and almost friendly sounding. But the main thing Cody noticed about it was that it sounded far too close. The shrub was so thin that there was nowhere for a woman to hide but the voice seemed to be coming from right next to them. No woman worked on the ranch, and they were miles away from the nearest road. Hello, said the voice again. And then something in the distance moved. It was too far away to be the person speaking, right where the shrub turned into shadow. Cody had a brief glimpse of four limbs and a thin head looking directly at him. He distinctly remembered that there was no hair to speak of, and that the eyes glinted as if he was shining a torch at them. Then, Bandit did something that he had never done before. He turned on his heel and ran away. Cody held on for dear life and didn't bother trying to turn them around. He figured that if something had spooked the unspookable Bandit this much he had no interest in getting any closer. Bandit ran for almost half an hour before he finally slowed to an urgent trot. Now that he could hear over the deafening sound of the horse's hooves, Cody noticed that the eerie silence had vanished and he could once again hear the normal sounds of dusk. Until now, Cody had only told this story to one other person a Native American man named Jack, who worked on the ranch with him. He chose to tell Jack because he knew that Native American legends spoke of a similar creature, and he doubted that any of his other colleagues would believe him. He had a tough reputation, and didn't want anyone else to know how spooked he was if they wouldn't take him seriously. Jack told Cody that he thought he knew what the creature he had encountered was, but one of the conditions of Cody allowing me to share his story was that I do not repeat the creature's name. Jack believed that saying the creature's name or speaking about it would draw the creature's attention, and after what Cody experienced that night, he agreed. Cody and Bandit have never seen the creature again, but Cody still keeps his gun loaded with a silver bullet, just in case. Story 2 Lucy was camping with three of her friends, who I will call Brock, Rachel and Sam. Unlike many scary encounters, this took place in the middle of the afternoon, so this sighting cannot be blamed on poor lighting, nightmares or overexhaustion. The hike was meant to have taken the group seven hours, but these were college athletes who spent a bit of time outdoors, so they reached their campsite at 3 p.m. The four friends set up a tent in a clearing, surrounded by a dense forest. No other campers were using the site, but there were basic facilities for toileting and cooking. In other words, while they were isolated in the forest, they weren't exactly off the beaten path. Rachel suddenly stopped in the middle of unpacking, and she looked in the distance. She asked if the others had heard anything, and they replied that they had not. She said that it sounded like an animal crying or whimpering. Lucy listened intently for a few seconds, but heard nothing. For a few minutes, the friends continued to unpack until they heard an undeniable rustling sound. It was fall and the leaves were dry on the ground, so any footsteps or movement was quite distinctive. At the same time, they all turned to look at the source of the noise. At the very edge of the clearing, about 30 feet away, there was a large gray wolf. Lucy had never seen a wolf in person before, so she wasn't sure how big they should be, but this animal seemed to be almost the size of a lion. It was looking straight at them. Despite its size, it was clear that something was terribly wrong with the wolf. It was so thin that it must have been in pain, each of its bones pushing out against the skin as if trying to escape. All four girls froze. Deep down, Lucy knew that they should be yelling and trying to intimidate the wolf but the encounter was so completely unexpected that her body took some time to catch up with her brain. She was further away from the wolf than the rest of the group, so her instinct was to make herself as small as possible. Sam, who was known to be impulsive, stood up immediately and began to bang two saucepans together overhead in an attempt to scare the wolf. For a moment, it seemed like the wolf was going to attack them anyway as it let out a rumbling growl that seemed to echo through the entire clearing. Then, the wolf looked straight at Lucy. While making eye contact with it, Lucy felt like this was a very intelligent creature. It had orange, animal-like eyes. But something about the way it looked at her felt almost human. The emaciated state of its head emphasised the bright orange eyes inside of the hollow eye sockets. Without breaking eye contact, the enormous wolf reared up onto its hind legs. At that moment, Lucy believed that it was just trying to get a better view of them. This opinion changed when, slowly, the wolf began to back away from them, remaining on two legs the entire time, and without breaking eye contact. Although it was walking backward, it didn't stumble and it seemed to be as confident on two legs as a human would be. The shadows of the forest highlighted, every rib sticking out against the skin. It kept backing away until the only thing Lucy could see was the glowing of those orange eyes. Finally, it disappeared into the trees. Sam stopped banging the saucepans together and the four campers listened as the crunch, crunch, crunch of the wolf's footsteps grew more distant and then inaudible. After it left, the silence was deafening. None of them talked about it. In fact, nobody said a word. They silently repacked their bags and hightailed it back to their starting point on the trail without spending another night in the woods. Although nobody suggested it, They ended up running through the woods without taking a single break, ignoring the blisters on their feet. Lucy told me that after the incident, her friendship with Brooke and Sam faded because they refused to talk about what had happened. They laughed at her fear and insisted that it was nothing more than a lone wolf that was starving to death. They said that it must have gone mad with hunger, and that was why it walked on two legs. When she talked to Brooke and Sam about the incident, Lucy began to wonder if maybe she was overreacting. But when she talked to Rachel about it, she discovered that Rachel agreed that something had been terrifyingly wrong about the wolf. Lucy and Rachel are still friends to this day, and she persuaded Rachel to contact me to add some credibility to the story. Rachel's story is almost the same as Lucy's, but she does provide some additional details. The most important one is this, Rachel's description of the wolf's appearance. Rachel had been the closest camper to the wolf, and unlike Lucy, her friend's view wasn't blocked by the tent or their friends. Even after all these years, Rachel was insistent that when the wolf stood up, she saw that it looked different to a normal wolf. She told me that the chest was flat instead of the barrel chest of a normal canine and under the fur and skin she could see the outline of pectoral and abdominal muscles. She was certain that the toes were so elongated they were almost like fingers with unusually long and yellow nails. The shoulders were set to the side like a person's instead of in front and even the shape of the ribs were wrong for a four-legged animal in her words it had the torso of a man covered in fur but bigger than any man i've ever seen that thing was so unnaturally skinny that it should have been dead and it didn't even seem weak it was smart it was just hungry i'll swear to anyone who will listen i don't know what it was but it was not a wolf and it was used to walking on two legs. Story 3 Daisy and her then-boyfriend were driving home from a wedding late at night in the summer of 2005. They had had a few too many drinks, and really, neither of them should have been behind the wheel. But Daisy was only 19, and felt like she was invincible. Daisy's boyfriend lived in northern Michigan, and she planned to spend the night at his house after the wedding. In his small town, most of the property was on native land, and it was common for people to be a little superstitious about some creatures that might be seen at night. Daisy didn't share these superstitions, and liked to think that she was a realist. Daisy's boyfriend, Max, believed every one of these legends. He worked at a local auto dealer, which was run by a Native American man in his late 50s. Through him, Max had learned a lot of local superstitions which he followed religiously. He avoided putting his shoes on the wrong feet. He never whistled at night, and he was constantly paranoid about a fox crossing his path and bringing him bad luck. The young couple avoided talking about Max's superstitions, mostly because Daisy thought he was being ridiculous and teased him mercilessly. She went out of her way to whistle out of the window at night and laughed when he worried about attracting bad spirits. They were about 15 minutes away from Max's home when Daisy pulled over to relieve herself on the side of the road. The wine from the wedding was passing right through her and she couldn't hold on for the remainder of the drive. Max waited in the passenger seat of the car while Daisy hopped fenced into a cornfield on the side of the road and squatted. While she squatted, Daisy casually whistled to the tune of Here Comes the Bride. She hadn't even done it intentionally. Messing with Max by whistling had become second nature, and he was too far away on a windy night to hear her. She was just starting to stand up when a shout from the car made her yelp. "Daisy, get back in the car," Max bellowed. Daisy looked at him in disbelief. Even though he was annoyed at her, Max was a quiet and gentle guy, and he never yelled. She called back that she would be there in a minute. "If you don't get here right now, I'm driving off without you. I'm not joking." Daisy felt a sudden chill as she noticed the panic in his voice. She quickly adjusted her skirt and walked back to the car. Max was now in the driver's seat and he opened the passenger door for her. He grabbed her by the shoulder and hauled her inside, then locked the doors behind her. What is wrong with you? Daisy asked, rubbing the mark on her shoulder that his fingers had left. Max didn't answer but he pointed. Daisy followed the direction of Max's finger out to the cornfield, just behind where she had been peeing. It was almost midnight, but the full moon made it easy to see. Rising up out of the corn was a two-legged figure, almost twice as tall as Daisy herself. She was above average height for a girl, and the corn had reached almost to her high level. It barely reached the thin waist of whatever was standing there staring directly at them. Her eyes were drawn to the skull, which looked like it was barely covered by pale skin. In her panic, as Max stomped on the accelerator and sped away, she could just make out the silhouette of some kind of horns or antlers against the sky. Max said that the creature had walked towards her on all fours and that he thought it was a deer because all he could see was the head and what looked like antlers. Then, it had lifted up onto its hind legs and crept slowly closer. It had used its arms to part the corn in front of its path as if it was trying to stay quiet. That was when Max had freaked out and started yelling. That night, Max burned sage all over the house, and Daisy didn't make fun of him for it. She lay in bed with the blankets over her head and didn't sleep a wink. All she could think of was those hollow eye sockets and the eyes staring from within them. The only thing those eyes knew, she said, was hunger. Max and Daisy broke up shortly after that night. It was Max who called it quits. But Daisy was secretly glad. She maintains that superstition is silly and that myths aren't real. But since that encounter more than 15 years ago, she has never, ever whistled at night.